witnessing to you a man that I just met myself a couple days ago, a dear brother whose ministry has already blessed us, Dr. James Burkett, found the Lord and was called to preach in a naval hospital during World War II. Since that time, he has served the Lord as pastor or interim pastor in over 16 different churches. He has authored numerous books, pamphlets, and articles. He's also founded and operated two Christian radio stations. For 27 years, his radio program, the Radio Bible Institute, was heard on radio stations at home and abroad. Dr. Burkett and his wife Carol reside in Glen Allen, Virginia. Their family includes four children, six grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. I have a note here concerning his education. He attended Prairie Bible College, as he told us earlier today, in Alberta, Canada. He received his uh, bachelor's degree from Columbia Bible College, um, and the, he received his M.A. from the Presbyterian School of Christian Education. He did postgraduate studies at New York University, and studied Bible, archaeology, and the Dead Sea Scrolls at the Hebrew Union College of Biblical and Archaeological Studies in Jerusalem, Israel. His doctorate in Bible was received at the Southern Baptist School of Biblical Studies in Jacksonville, Florida. So I leave with you Dr. James Burkett. I'm surprised you could read it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Orville. Um, it's good to have you folk come down, and uh, I hope this will be a time that will be profitable for you. Uh, we are going to kind of continue where we left off this morning. We were talking about where Jesus said, But I say unto you, and one of the things that he said to them that was different was that the uh, if anybody divorces and remarries except it be for fornication, uh, they're committing adultery. And we've got to go a step further to find out what he meant by that exception clause, you know. So let's, let's have a prayer together first, shall we? Father, we've come here to study your word. And we do ask that your Holy Spirit will give us insight, that you'll give us anointing, that you'll give us a heart that's uh, open to the word. And we pray that what we're asking for this session and each one here, that you'll do it also in the other breakout sessions that are in progress. So speak, Lord, for thy servants here. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> the, um, the espousal period is what it's all about as far as uh, talking about the exception clause. Uh, only twice did uh, anybody in the Bible, including Jesus, say anything about except for anything. And so it's um, both of those times Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9 uh, are found in the Gospel of Matthew. And we kind of hit on the edge of that this morning. Uh, what did they, um, why would it be in Matthew and nowhere else? It's not in Luke 16.18, there's no exception. And it's not in uh, Romans 7.2 and 3, there's no exception. And um, the Mark 6 has no exception, nor 10, Mark 10. So it's only in Matthew. There must be a reason for that. And of course, everybody, I think, has pretty well agreed that Matthew's gospel was written to the Jewish converts. And uh, this over and over, the prophecies are, are mentioned in there and repeated. And um, there's so much was said about um, the uh, uh, things that the Jewish people had a mind to themselves they would know exactly what Jesus was talking about, and we kind of are fuzzy on it because we're not from the Jewish background. So what was the background? Well, we'll have to go to chapter 1 of Matthew to find out uh, something about the espousal period. Incidentally, the word betrothed in the Old Testament is the same as espouse in the New Testament. One's Hebrew and one is Greek. And so they had this betrothal period uh, in the Jewish culture in the Old Testament, and it carried over into the New Testament. Now, what was it? Uh, I've always said that it was uh, more than our engagement and less than our marriage. I think that's perhaps a description of it. Um, when somebody's engaged in our culture, 
they plan to get married and they make plans toward that, but they can break it up anytime they want to. And they're not married and not called husband and wife, and they don't live together. That's an engagement, of course you know that. But in the Jewish betrothal period, or spousal period, as it was called in the New Testament, uh, they uh, did make arrangements ahead of time about who they were going to marry, sort of like our engagement. And um, sometimes it's made even when the child was uh, betrothed to another child in another family. And, uh, and then sometimes, I guess, the groom selected for himself somebody he wanted to go see. But uh, they had arrangements made ahead of time. And the, the young man would eventually wind up at her house. And um, he would take some folk along with him as witnesses. And uh, they would, um, he would see the father. Now, let me just throw this in right here. I, I mentioned my second son, who's so humorous. He was so humorous that when we were, he was three years old, missionaries came with a brand new baby and he hid the towel from them while she was bathing the baby. <laughs> That's the sort of thing this, this son, son of ours, over by, behind the door like this, you know. <laughs> but uh, he's been that way all of his life. And um, he had a very beautiful daughter, my granddaughter. And when Joy was uh, 14 years old, a little early for dating, I think, but a 16-year-old boy in the class, I wanted to take her to the school prom. And so she, he came to ask my son if he could take Joy to that event. And John said the boy was so nervous that really the perspiration was dripping almost off of his hands, you know. And uh, John said to him, uh, I think a bit gruffly, he said, uh, don't you think uh, she's a little young for you to take? Uh, don't you think you would have more fun with somebody else? No, sir, Mr. Burkett, he said, I, I would like to take Joy. He said, well, now, you know how I want you to treat my daughter, don't you? I, I want you to treat her, he said, like a princess. John said, a little higher, uh, like a queen. <laughs> yeah, I did treat her like a queen. And then he said to, to the young fellow, he said, you see that deer head up there on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> He said, that's what I do to fellas that don't treat my daughter right. <laughs> well, it was all in fun, but uh, he got his point over anyhow, you know. Uh, no, he didn't marry her. <laughs> she didn't marry him. <laughs> but she did happily marry and gave us our first great-grandchild and the second one on the way. Uh, dates me, I guess, you know. But anyhow, um, the uh, dating and engagement so much different in our culture, as you've already picked up, as it is in the Jewish culture. But when this young man would come in with his uh, entourage, he would bring three things with him. One of them was a dowry of, of money that uh, he was to give to the father if he were accepted. And then he had a, a document with him. A document was a contract that they were going to be engaged or espoused. And then he had a, a wine skin over his shoulder with wine in it. And if they, if they came to a conclusion that the father accepted him, they would call the daughter out. And the daughter would come into the room and they would explain what's going on. And if she accepted, she'd drink a cup of that wine. And that was the acceptance of the uh, a spousal period. Now, they immediately were recognized as husband and wife. By the way, I met some of the Mennonites. Anybody here a Mennonite in this group? Yeah. I met some of the Mennonites here and talked to them about I was up in the Shenandoah Valley in uh, Virginia where a lot of Mennonites are. And uh, before I was interim pastor there, just finished in October, they, uh, we used to go there for auctions that the Mennonites would have. And those were the Mennonites with the horse and buggies, you know, and all. And um, I remember my wife said to one of the older ladies at this auction, said, uh, and the girls don't wear any jewelry. And she said, yes, that's right. She said, well, how do the fellows know that they're married? She said, they know. <laughs> that's all there was to it. <laughs> the word got around, I guess, you know. <laughs> but... Um, there are all sorts of customs that people have. Take back in the slave days, when they had the actual marriage, 
they had a custom that after the minister got through with the ceremony, there was a broom lying on the floor, and the bride and the groom would jump over the broom. And that's what they called it when they were getting married. When they got on that side, they were married. <laughs> now, those are strange customs, aren't they? And um, I saw a, a, a film recently of uh, some aboriginal people that uh, the custom was for the woman to have two or three husbands. Now, I never had heard of polygamy like that. You know, it's all the way around normally. But um, everybody seems to have a custom. I hope, I hope you'll just throw this in in passing. I hope you have already picked up on the fact that uh, nationally in the United States there uh, started last Friday a film on the Alka Indians. Have you picked up on that? End of the Spear. Yeah, End of the Spear. And uh, Steve, uh, oh, what's Saint. Saint? Steve Saint um, is behind that now. Steve has a gray beard. <laughs> He's a son. He was 16 when I was down in the Alka country. <laughs> but um, you know about the story of the Alka Indians, don't you? Everybody does. And um, Abe Vandepoy, who was president of HCJB Radio, led the search team for those five missionaries. And later, Abe's wife died of cancer 10 years later, and he married Marge Saint, <laughs> one of the widows. They've been our house guests uh, a time or so. But um, I hope you'll try to see that film. I, I brought one of the killer spears back with me. It was real uh, interesting. It's nine feet long and as sharp as a razor. And uh, I went with a, a well-to-do businessman. In fact, he was given through our organization two 100,000-watt shortwave transmitters to HCJB. So we went down there to see him turned on. And uh, coming back, uh, he promised everybody a raise on the airplane if they get that spear home for him. Of course, he didn't have the authority to do it, but <laughs> being the kind of millionaire he was, that's the way he got through things. And so walking through the Miami airport, I was carrying this spear like this. <laughs> and um, the um, he was walking in front of me. And... <laughs> And I didn't notice that he stopped. <laughs> and just about the time I was about ready to make contact, which I did stop in time, I looked over here and there were two elderly ladies, obviously a mother and a daughter, uh, about to break up laughing, you know. <laughs> and just one more thing, and then we'll get back to our subject. Uh, uh, I was asked to speak on the Alka Indians uh, at a ladies' meeting at a hotel in Richmond, and I took the spear along and a few things I had to, to show. And when I got ready to leave, I couldn't get out the revolving door with a nine-foot spear. And so my crowd with me went out the, that door, and I went out a side door, and I was walking up the street toward the car, and a load of teenagers drove by and hung out of the car, and they said, did you get anything? <laughs> like I'd been hunting, you know. <laughs> but uh, I never dreamed. I never dreamed I'd have the privilege of going down there, but uh, I did, and go out in the jungle where they first made the contact uh, with the, and the Jim Elliot's home and all. But that has been a tremendous thing that God has, has done. I, I hope we can all see it. Back to, his, I don't know how the alcohols marry. <laughs> I can't bring that in here. But uh, back to the espousal period, the moment that contract was uh, agreed to, and she drank that cup of wine, uh, they were called husband and wife. And it wasn't like they are going to be husband and wife. Uh, they were called husband and wife. And you can find that in the situation here in uh, Matthew 1 where uh, Mary and Joseph were spouse and called husband and wife. But they didn't live together for 9 to 12 months or longer. And uh, they always wondered when... Um, the bridegroom would come to get his bride. And obviously he wanted to be sure uh, that there was no hanky-panky involved, that, and if she uh, was involved in fornication or, or pregnant or anything like that, he had the right to divorce her. Now, they hadn't lived together yet, but they were called husband and wife. And uh, he, he would have to go through a legal divorce uh, if that happened. And this, this seemed to have happened to Joseph. It appeared to him that his wife had been involved with somebody else during that espousal period. Let me read you just a little bit of it here. Uh, Matthew 1, uh, 18. 
and following. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with a child. We know that this was a different espousal because it was a virgin birth, but uh, it gives us an example of what it was like. She was with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a, a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Now, that in the way they did it in the Old Testament. She would have been stoned to death if she had been involved sexually with some other person during that period of time. And um, so there wasn't any question about remarriage in the Old Testament. Uh, one of them was dead. I mean, he could remarry because she was dead and they never had lived together. And continuing that, we look in verse 20. While he, Joseph, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and that shall call his name Emmanuel, uh, uh, call his name Jesus, rather, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now this was all done and fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall conceive, be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Then Joseph being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And he knew her not until she had brought forth the firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now there are so many things in that passage of Scripture. The fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, as most of you already know, that's where it was prophesied 700 years ahead of time that uh, uh, a virgin should conceive and bring forth a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. Now, I had the privilege one time of witnessing to Ben Gurin in Jerusalem on a Sunday morning, and uh, he was talking about the verse in Isaiah 7:14, and he wanted to convince us that the word there didn't mean virgin, but that it meant young woman. And um, I said to him, Sir, you understand that we don't just go by the Old Testament, we go by the New Testament, it says virgin. So I left my little word over there in Israel <laughs> during that time. But it was a fulfillment. And then it says his name should be called Emmanuel. Uh, and this passage here says, which being interpreted is God with us. And that's who Jesus Christ was. He said, he that seen me hath seen the Father also. And in John 10:30, he said, I and my Father are one. So he was God. The Word was made, finish it for me, flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, even as a, of the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. So this is uh, where the espousal period fit in with the prophecy of the birth of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the actual birth itself. Now, uh, it's interesting to know uh, that not only in the espousal period did they not live together uh, until the nine or twelve months was up, but in this particular case, uh, they didn't live together until after the baby was born, according to this scripture right here. And um, coming back to the young man, uh, speaking to his the father about the daughter, when they agreed that they would have the contract signed, agreed to, and marriage, in the espousal period, they, um, he would go immediately to build a room on his father's house, a chamber, they called it. They had a, a Hebrew word for it, too. And he would work all this time getting ready for his bride. And uh, she would never know when he was coming to get her. It's an expectation, sort of a type, as, as Mr. Gorey was saying the other night, Dr. Gorey, of uh, Christ coming after his bride. And she would have to prepare almost every night to be ready to go. And then you turn in the Bible to Matthew 26. You remember the parable of the virgins? It gives you a little bit more about it. And um, in Matthew 26, um, 
I don't have enough hands here, but um, actually the um, 10 virgins, 25 it is. No, this is fine, thank you. I appreciate that, Oral. Um, verse uh, 1 of chapter 25 of Matthew. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. By the way, have you seen any of those lamps that they had? Yeah, little lamp they would hold in their palm. The ones in Abraham's day were open. I have one. And the ones in the day of Christ were closed with a round hole in it to put the oil in. And a little place about the end. I have one of those too. And um, they, they came with their their lamps. And let's see what it says they did. Five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Uh, they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. And uh, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Uh, while the bridegroom tarried. Now see, there, there's your place right there where the bridegroom has turned. Um, they didn't know when to expect them. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Well, you know the rest of the story. Uh, five of them didn't have any oil in their lamp, and they went uh, at midnight and said to the other five virgins, uh, uh, How about loan us a little bit of oil? And they wouldn't do it. And so you have to prepare for the second coming of Christ. And I think that may be an analogy uh, of the uh, spousal period expecting the bridegroom to come, Jesus Christ. But um, the, uh, it closes in verse 13, Watch therefore you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now, <clears throat> the spousal period uh, that Joseph and Mary went through was exactly like the espousal period of any other Jewish couple. And uh, they would have made the contract. Somebody would have made their arrangements. It could have been their parents, or it could have been um, even when they were children. We don't know that. But um, the time would come when they would be not just called husband and wife, but they'd actually be husband and wife. Now, what's all that got to do with marriage? of what we're talking about. It kind of explains the accept clause in Matthew 5, 32 and Matthew 19, 9. Only two places in the Bible is any exception about marriage and, and divorce and remarriage. And so Jesus, when he was put to the point, uh, as we saw this morning, by the Pharisees and his disciples too, uh, he said, but uh, that's the way you all heard it. And they said, well, Moses said it. He said, but I say unto you, and this is the way it really is about marriage and divorce. I say unto you, except for fornication, if a couple remarries adultery. Now, explained by the espousal period, suppose a man had found that his wife was involved with another man or was pregnant. He could put her away. It used to be the stone to death as we've already said, but um, <clears throat> they, he could put her away privately, and he had never been, never consummated that marriage in the first place, so he could go out and get married again. Same thing as if she had been stoned, they could do that in the Old Testament too. And so, uh, if, if there was fornication in the espousal period, like Joseph first thought until the angel told him it was different, uh, the uh, room-to-be could put her away and uh, could uh, then be free to marry again. So Jesus said, But I say unto you, except, ye, uh, except for the fornication, if you divorce and remarry, you'll be committing adultery. Now, I don't know whether we've raised any questions that some of you would like to ask. And uh, Yes, sir. don't. I don't. I just know that by the New Testament time, they didn't steal stone. You know, they wanted to stone the lady taken in adultery. And Jesus uh, said, no, I said, you, uh, you don't have any sin. You can throw the first stone and told her to go and sin no more. So there was a change in it, wasn't it? And, uh, but when it happened, I don't know. 
wonder if anybody else has got anything you'd like to. Yes, ma'am. It's just like it is today. It was worse for the woman than it was for the man. <laughs> All right, the, the, uh, but it explains the whole thing that we have uh, talked about this morning on the subject of fornication. And uh, those translators, 16 of them that I dealt with in my book that we have up here, uh, that translated the word pornos as uh, all kinds of different things, uh, immorality, uh, evil thoughts, they had, I had, uh, I found 45 different ways that they had translated the one word pornos, and they just didn't understand at all about the exception clause. Anybody else got anything you'd like to throw into here or question? It gives a license, doesn't it? It gives a license, doesn't it, to do wrong? Uh huh. I had an experience. We had, uh, as well as being in the pastorate all those years, we had three Christian radio stations, two in Richmond, Virginia area, and one in Savannah, Georgia. And uh, we put out a, a magazine monthly, the 30,000 people received it. And I wrote on this subject in the magazine that went out to our Christian radio constituency and friends. And uh, a lady called, and she said, you know, said, I believe just like you do about the marriage and divorce and remarriage. And she said, I'd like to come for counseling. My husband has left me. So she came, and I hope you don't identify anything that connects her, because I'm not going to use any names. But uh, her husband was the associate pastor of one of the larger evangelical churches in the West, uh, just known by everybody. And he got involved with the lady who ran the cassette department. Now, if you identify that, I don't say anything. <laughs> and so she came and for counseling. Here's what came out of that. that Dwight Hervey Small, anybody ever heard of him? He wrote a book about how, how it was all right to remarry when you were divorced. I, I've reviewed 28 books uh, in that book we have upstairs uh, where people maybe it's in the first four or five chapters did just like you and I would do and then the last two gave it all away you know and um, and apparently he'd done that and uh, she said that uh, he read uh, Dwight Hervey Small's book and um, uh, they came back to the Richmond area when they dismissed him at this church because he had gotten involved with another woman and um, so he began to take some work as a chaplain at one of the medical schools in, in Richmond. And um, one, one day, about a year later, she said, he said to me, he said, you know, so I think I'm going to call that lady. So there's, there's a little bit of unfinished business. I didn't uh, quite get settled when I left there. And he called her, and it started all over again. And... Um, he used Dwight Harvey Smith's book as his excuse for it being all right for him to divorce his wife and marry another, another woman. So she sat down and wrote Mr. Dr. Small a letter and said, your book has broken up my marriage. And he wrote back and said, uh, well, I, I didn't mean it exactly like that. And so she told her husband what Dr. Small had written back. And... Uh, he said, well, I'm going to take what he said the first time. And he totally left her and married this other woman. Now, that shows you how commentators or authors can just ruin things. You were talking about it. That's the reason we got on that. Of um, the fact that people can find an excuse. I had, a, had a, this man, I think I mentioned him this morning, that was a minister. And he had a sheep, I don't know how long, of things he'd cut it out of commentaries that justified why he had married another woman, you know. I'm going to tell you, I believe we better go thus says the Lord rather than what the commentaries said. What happened was, even as much as a hundred years ago, some of these commentaries were written, and uh, people have been preaching the commentaries instead of the word. 
You believe that? I do, with all my heart. Anybody else got anything you'd like to? Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate that observation, and there, there may be many other observations some of you have. I'll tell you what was interesting to me, and this goes a little bit from the espousal to what we're doing today. In our book upstairs that just came off the press this week, um, the, we put 13 configurations in it of how a person could get involved in a marriage or in uh, a non-marriage, where it's wrong, and what the scriptures say about each one of them. One of them was polygamy. With And, you know, the New Testament doesn't say one thing about polygamy. I don't know whether you know that or not, but some of these uh, people who say that uh, the deacon or the pastor uh, was told to have a, be the husband of one wife, that was because of polygamy. But the Bible in the New Testament doesn't mention polygamy. It doesn't mention bigamy either. Now, when I was growing up, there was a young man that I knew that he started spending more time in another little town 30 miles away than he did at home. And his father found out that he had uh, another family over there. He was a bigamist. And uh, I don't know what you think of this, but his dad got him by the scruff of the neck and marched him down to the police station and turned him in, and then he went to prison for a year. Um, people uh, can get themselves into some real Dutch. That was polygamy, uh, bigamy in that particular case. And then what about the person who has a third party involved? And uh, what do you have to do about that scripturally? Well, you've got to extricate yourself from that third party. That's one thing for sure. Make some confession about it and hope somehow that you can retain what you had in your first marriage, right? And what's the innocent wife going to do about it? She's going to forgive him, hopefully, 70 times 7. I hope he doesn't do it that much, don't you? And um, then uh, she's going to have a problem on her hands. It's going to be hard not to keep bringing it up to him. Look what you did, <laughs> you know? And that is opening the wound every time it happens. And in counseling, we've had to deal with these kind of things. By the way, with our Christian counseling service that we had along with our Christian radio stations, uh, we would not normally take a second marriage in counseling. Because if we did, we'd get them real adjusted in adultery. And that's not what we wanted to do. <laughs> we wanted to be sure, and, and we'd ask them that. And then having uh, someone wanting to be married, uh, that we, we didn't know. They'd call on the phone and say, uh, we'd like to get married. And uh, we'd ask, uh, do you have uh, a living mate, or does your uh, bridegroom-to-be have a living mate? Oh, yes, we do. And um, then we just simply tell them that we couldn't do it, you know, and try to be as tactful as we possibly could. They always, as we said this morning, go somewhere else and get married. But... Um, this thing of the espousal period, if people could understand it. Now, InterVarsity put out a book with four different Christian views, quote, and unquote, and the espousal period was one of the four views. But uh, when you go back to the church fathers, you find that they believe just like you and I do about the marriage and divorce and remarriage, that uh, there was only one other than Erasmus that ever held that you could remarry. And the others, uh, four, four of the views that they had were all against remarriage. And so we find that, um, that the espousal period, coming back to that, explains the um, whole thing about the fornication period uh, of it. Now, I wonder if you have any other questions or, or things that you'd like to share with us. Yes, ma'am. I, I don't think so, but uh, I guess you could argue that point. Uh, in her society, they would have been called husbands. And he might be just speaking about how they would speak. She, she'd say, this third person is my husband, you know. <laughs> and I believe that's it, Josiah. See how we can get tangled up on that different views. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. 
And if he was really acknowledging that they were husbands and all, all right, it would be contradictory to everything else he said. And I think that's one thing we have to take into consideration. I've heard that view before. Uh-huh. That is interesting. Uh, now, this is uh, uh, the, uh, uh, getting away a bit from what we're talking about, but there's a passage of Scripture in First Timothy 2 that uh, a lot of people use to say that women cannot be in service of the Lord. You, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, the... Uh, they uh, speak about it, and and what you're talking about about the Greek there, it is in the Greek different than most people interpret it. Instead of using the word anthropos, it uses a husband and there in the Greek, and um, so uh, and it's a, a family setting. So when she was told to keep quiet in the church, it was really talking about being quiet and submissive to a husband at home, and then if uh, she were so blessed she'd be saved in childbearing you don't have childbearing in the church <laughs> that's at home in those days they didn't have a hospital then by the way do you know that uh, uh, my next great grandchild will cost twelve thousand dollars to be born I can't believe that can you uh, when when my first grandchild was born my son that same humorous son was raising pedigree dogs and he sold a litter of pups for $2,100 and paid for the baby to be born. But look what has happened <laughs> in those days. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. The new modern translations are giving us a problem. There's no doubt about that. And um, it looks like the it translators may be and this is a judgment, I realize it, wiggling every way they can to preserve the uh, uh, right to remarry, <laughs> you see. But um, it wasn't like that in the early days. We didn't have the problem in the church. I was 20 years nearly at one church, and we only had several. And uh, they always accepted the fact that we need to teach the other young people not to have the same problem they had, you know. Well, we've got a problem on our hands, and the problem is that the present-day church is accepting the divorce and remarriage. I know one church that is conservative, quote, unquote, that has a divorce and remarried man head of the uh, men's work, has three divorce and remarried people on the deacon board, has a divorce and remarried woman who is in charge of the prayer warriors. It's just rampant, 10 of them in that one church, you see. And you know what we found? We found that they work harder than anybody else. And uh, that's right. They, they step right up there. I'll be the leader of the woman's work or the men's work. And I think it's because of guilt, don't you? I think people are, are, try, are trying to assuage their guilt. But uh, it's a hard pill for some of us to swallow who didn't have that in earlier days. You know, um, we we saw that there was very little of that in earlier churches that we had. I had one man one time in my first church as a student pastor who uh, was divorced, and he volunteered to help in vacation Bible school. And there was another lady in the church who was divorced, and she volunteered to help in vacation Bible school. And what happened was Finn thickened up. <laughs> during that time, and he, they got married. And I wrote to uh, John, and I, I, I gave him a blister. I told him, I said, John, you got no business with that. I knew him well enough to do that. They got married. Thirty years later, from another state, how you ever got my address, I don't know. He wrote me. He said, I wish I'd listened to you out back then. But see, right now, preachers, Ministers, pastors are afraid to speak out on it because I know too that lost their churches of it. Uh, one young fellow that I knew, very dedicated young man, uh, the pianist went off one week and married a divorced man and came back sitting on the piano bench the next Sunday and he tried to deal with it and her father was the 
hid man in the church, and so you know who went. The preacher did. And I had another preacher friend, and both of them absolutely picked it up from me. I'll have to be honest with you, but I don't think they handled it well. But uh, this other fellow preached uh, against the divorce and remarriage, and um, they terminated his services too. Now you say, well, how in the world did you get by <laughs> for all these years? I've believed it ever since I was in the ministry. It just came naturally from the beginning. Uh, I think maybe I tried to be more tactful than some people were. I'd say to the people who had the problem in the church, I'd say, now I know you don't want to go to the have this problem. You help me keep them from the It seemed to work. <laughs> it did. But uh, I hope that you can see through the espousal period and see through the except for fornication. And you can't make fornication any one of those 45 different things that people have made them in translation. You've got to accept it as premarital sex. And if you have any problem with that, go to Webster's Dictionary and see exactly what he says about fornication and about adultery. It would be the um, unfaithfulness in marriage and the fornication would be the uh, involvement with someone sexually out of marriage. Now, anybody guess me? Well, let, let me help on that if I might, because in the English it looks like it's the same word, but it's not. It's, uh, it's a male prostitute. Uh, it, well, that's where they're wrong on that. That's where they're wrong. Well, you even find, and the difference in Matthew 5:32 and 19:9, where the translators will make the same word, uh, fornication here and immorality or unchastity here, and this gives me a major problem. I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, there's no question about it. You can't make one word in the Greek stand for five different sex sins. <laughs> there are other words that stand for those deviations, and we talked about that this morning. Anybody else got anything else to like that? Yes. Yes. She has extricated herself from fornication, and he's extricated himself from adultery. And um, some people use Deuteronomy 24 to say that he couldn't go back to his first wife. But Jesus straightened that out when he said, that's what Moses said, he suffered it by the hardness of your heart, but I say unto you, this is the way it will be. Uh, Deuteronomy 24 uh, was Moses dealing with uh, the situation, uh, and he permitted it for, because of the hardness of his heart, but it wasn't really God's will for that to be. Jesus changed it. You have that in the, the uh, in bigamy and polygamy as well, because a man has to take the first wife that he had, and the others are extracurricular. All right, and they, they run into that on the mission field, brother. I don't know how y'all handled it on the mission field if you you didn't you didn't have it there in, in Africa, but do. Uh huh. Right. We, I went to uh, South Africa one time for the national religious broadcasters. And I'd already met them before. Uh, yes, I tried to look them up in South Africa and couldn't find them. I didn't know they immigrated to New Zealand. But um, we flew out to, in Zululand, King Goodwill. And this is an interesting little thing. Um, it can be kind of personal for just a minute. I got two or three little pet names for my wife. She's real short. Sweet and low is one of them. <laughs> and. Um, then I called her my little Zulu. And then I got to thinking, no, my Zulus are, are not white. <laughs> so I called her my albino Zulu. <laughs> well, I went to Washington to the National Religious Broadcasters. I served on that board for 28 years. And King Goodwill and one of his wives came to Washington to that meeting. So I paraded Carol up in front of King and introduced him like I knew him, you know and um, had some faith and had the least idea what was going on. Oh, when I went to South Africa, we flew out into the Zulu tribe where King Goodwill resided. Seven million 
Zulus, they didn't really want the integration. They wanted to stay with their own group. But uh, it was an interesting thing that happened. Um, I noticed they hit us in the, we had an interview with him, a number of us in a room, and everybody that came in, came in on their knees. I mean, even the girl that served the tea at the coffee table, tea table, she walked on her knees there to serve the table, all in respect for the king, you know? We didn't have to do it. He said he's going to have a little lunch for us, and he had a four-course dinner <laughs> that he served to us. But what I'm coming to is um, I, he had 50 children, and he's become a Christian. I don't know how many wives he had, but I was told that I shouldn't have asked how many children did he have. <laughs> but um, apparently he, I don't know what he's done about it, but apparently he had more than one wife. And in some places, they've had to put away everybody but the first one. And I think that would be the logical thing to do, you know. But uh, we'll have to find out more about the Zulus and King Goodwill uh, later. He had his own jet plane out there and his Mercedes. You know that to be a fact. Well, I am certainly glad to hear it because I wondered what they would do about the situation. And uh, the missionaries have debated this in places like Africa. What does this old chief do when he's got about 14 wives and he gets saved? Uh, some of them have decided that he, they, he'd keep them up in a hut and give them food and, and uh, housing and take his first wife, and I think perhaps that would be the scriptural thing to do. That's my opinion, anyhow. I don't know what your view is. We don't have but just a few minutes here, but anybody got anything else on your mind you'd like to talk about? Yes, ma'am. Some of the denominations would have authority over the pastors, but take like a, a larger one, like the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. They don't have any authority over the pastors. They are autonomous. Each church is autonomous. And a church can ordain a pastor, whether anybody else is interested in it or not. Or they can call a group of people in. So it would be the main thing he would have would be trouble with his own church if they didn't believe what he believed, you see. In, in the book that we've just completed, and I refer to it again, we have, um, I told you already, uh, I think 28 books, uh, evangelical books largely, that we've referred to and see what they had to say. Now, take uh, Oral Roberts. I was so much against divorce and remarriage. And then uh, the son divorced. And uh, his biography, we've done that in there, he uh, went to the uh, people that were on his board, uh, ministers and uh, trustees and all that, they approved that it would be all right for him to be a divorce and be the president of the, the university. And we find that in so many cases, and there are a couple of the books that we reviewed in there that favored, evangelical preachers favoring remarriage. One of them actually tells you how to get a lawyer and to do it, you know, <laughs> and I just don't understand how, I do understand, I think Dr. Joe Webb has told us how it happened, and that's Rui Rasmus coming into the church and uh, with a doctrine that was heretical, and Martin Luther rejected him, but held on to some of his doctrine, and it went right on down through the church of the ages, and so we've been preaching Erasmus doctrine rather than Bible doctrine, right? <laughs> And that's where the problem is. We're going to wrap it up. Anybody got anything else to say? We put in this book that I've referred to several times 42 excuses like that that people use and what the answer is to it. The answer is to it. The Bible doesn't say a thing about whether it was before you were saved or not. 
uh, if a man got his leg shot off robbing a bank while he was unsaved and he got saved, he still got one leg short. Isn't that right? <laughs> and uh, you, you've got to got to see that uh, that that just doesn't care. But a lot of people believe that. One man told me that God didn't have anything to do with his marriage at all. But he didn't realize that the principles are universal and that they do. No, I don't think the salvation thing apply. Do you, Brother Alba? And to finalize what we're talking about here today, and we've gone a ways from the spousal period, but that, that gives you what Jesus really thought about it on the acceptable fornication. But uh, I have a real problem with the singles groups in the church. I don't know how you feel. I think I picked that up here too. Um, when you take the singles in the church and the divorced people and put them all in the same pot, you're doing nothing but making a match back. All right? And um, they think they are, and uh, even some of the churches think they are. But I, I wrote in, in the journal two or three things like that, and I got a call from two or three states away long distance and the man his wife had left him his second wife had left him and he had a pistol to his head when he was talking to me on the telephone said he was going to commit suicide and um, I was able to chat with him for 20 or 30 minutes and tried to help him and uh, then I wrote him a letter and explained what his situation was like and that letter is in this book that we've gotten uh, but uh, I don't know what happened to him I don't think he shot himself <laughs> But uh, whether he really accepted what we believe, I don't know whether he did or not. Well, it's been great to have you here, and thanks for your contribution. And it's been good, hasn't it, uh, to get together with all the people here, different views. We used to meet, as we've already said here several times, used to meet and jokingly say we were meeting in a telephone booth. And now we have too many to get in that telephone. We're going to have to get more telephone booths, aren't we? I think that there must be 114 registered lists. I heard Josiah, have you heard anything different? Have you heard anything different about the number of registrations? <laughs> well, that's good, isn't it? Well, I heard 114 yesterday. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for these who are interested in Bible study and in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his word. And Lord, we do pray that you'll guard us and guide us as we search the scriptures daily to find out uh, the things that are so. And Lord, we do pray that somehow here and there we may be able to teach people that they might pick up on the truth of your word. And we do ask, Lord, that you head off the avalanche of divorce and remarriage in the church. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.